with gold Lifted some stones Saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering From the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who can't tune in to Heart of the Matter on television, please have them go to hotm.tv where they can watch it live, streaming video from anywhere in the world. Just to let you know that KTMW TV 20 is going digital. Our studio outside is full of new equipment and we will be up to date for the big changeover on February 17th at midnight. Full power American television stations will end all analog broadcasts and begin broadcasting exclusively in digital format. If you're not ready for this, you're not gonna have television. So there are three ways you can transition into digital. You can switch to cable or satellite television uh, or a satellite television service provider, in which case analog sets will continue to function. You can purchase a new TV set with a built-in digital tuner or you can purchase a DTV converter box that will convert the new digital system into an old format Yada, yada, yada. Uh, anyway, just get ready for it. You can uh, go online, type in that digital TV, and you'll probably get all the information you might want. At hotm.tv, you can watch any of our archive shows, over 150 of them, hour long, and we hope you will take advantage of that. Remember, Calvary Campus, a verse-by-verse -verse Bible study, Bible teaching, has a new meeting time on Sundays at the University of Utah. We've moved it from the morning to 2.30 to 3.30 in the afternoon. Of course, we're going to continue on at Weber State and Utah State from 7 to 8 in the evening. Everyone is welcome as we seek to continue to perfect the saints, the work of the ministry, and the edifying of the body of Christ. Not a church, more like a Sunday school. Show up and learn. Go to www.calvarycampus.com for more information. The hard copies of the second run of I Was a Born Again Mormon are almost gone. 10,000 or more sold or given away. The remainder are available at fine bookstores, including utlm.org, Gift of Grace, New Life, Lifeway, Oasis, all the bookstores we've talked about before. Of course, you can always come to www.bornagainmormon.com to pick up a copy. I want to apologize. It has taken me quite a while to get this far behind on your emails. We have over 500 uh, in stock. I'm, we read all of them, every single one of them. We copy them. We remove your identity. We appreciate them. I just want to thank all of you for taking the time to share your heartfelt stories from literally all over the nation, even uh, over the world, of how the show has helped you understand either what Mormonism is, how it's helped you come out of Mormonism, or how, how it's helped you uh, 
thwart the missionary efforts of the Mormons to reach you with the gospel that they don't teach you. So we really are grateful for it. Give us a little time. We will catch up. We answer all of them, and we will get to those. Last week, I mentioned a magazine article in the Ensign. It's the LDS magazine, and we were talking about cabooses, engines and cabooses of your faith. And we talked about how if the engine and caboose of your faith is not Jesus Christ, you better be careful. And we then gave examples of how the engine and caboose and many other faith movements are not Christ. Well, I talked about a pictorial, but I couldn't find it at the time. This is it. Let's see if we can zoom in on that beauty. It's the lower one. Uh, and what it shows there is you can see over there, there's Abraham. There's a picture of him. And the next to him is Moses. And then they have a picture of Jesus. And there on the end, good old Joseph. There's your caboose right there. Woo -hoo! And uh, he is the one who leads. And by the way, there is uh, a lot of text in this article, and Jesus gets about this much of the text, and Joseph gets about this much of the text. Just to give you a comparison, now, of course, they say we don't worship or trust Jesus for our salvation or anything like that. That's the modern-day uh, thing that they're saying in the church to kind of thwart the uh, uh, apologetic efforts that are going on. I have a good friend, Robert, gave me this. Now, this was the manual that they used when I was a kid. So this is the stuff I cut my teeth on, and it's still doctrine, but in the church manual called Search These Commandments on page 133, it says, Joseph Smith's mission did not end with his death. President Brigham Young said, so this is why you're going to see Joseph Smith as the caboose to this faith. Quote, Joseph Smith holds the keys of this last dispensation and is now engaged behind the veil in the great work of the last days. No man or woman in this dispensation will ever enter into the celestial kingdom of God without the consent of Joseph Smith. He holds the keys of that kingdom for this last dispensation, the keys to rule in that spirit world, and he rules there triumphantly. He was foreordained in eternity to preside over this last dispensation. That was taken from Brigham Young's Journal of Discourses, 7, 289 through 90. Not making this stuff up. Uh, we also had a question about, uh, is there any other Books of Mormon for other continents? Since the LDS claimed that the Book of Mormon was for this continent, therefore there must be other uh, books out there for other continents. And an LDS caller last week said, well, someday there's going to be. Well, you know what? We had a good uh, viewer uh, call and tell us, Darren, and he sent us a connection to... Um, Actually, another Book of Mormon type book has been discovered in England, and uh, it's called the Book of Jeronek, and, um, and this person, this prophet, he calls himself, had these plates delivered to his doorstep by an angel, and he translated them into the Book of Jeronek, and he believes in the Book of Mormon, as the record here of the Americas, the Book of Jeronek centers around Stonehenge which uh, was a place where these people dwelled, and this is the record of them, and he's translated it into this book, and he says on his website, which we're going to show you next week, we couldn't get it ready for this week, but he says, if you pray about the book of Jeronek, God will reveal that it is true to you. So we're going to have some comparisons between the book of Jeronek and the book of Mormon. 
Over a year ago, we were in Logan, Utah, and I was speaking at a First Presbyterian church there, actually the First Presbyterian church there, and we had an unfortunate experience with the liberal clergy. I mentioned this experience on the show about a year and a half ago. Well, last week, the same Presbyterian church, the pastor spoke about the need for the congregates of this church to not embrace and receive homosexuals in the church, which is good advice to to receive homosexuals in the church, but to embrace and receive homosexuality as a biblically supported lifestyle. Going so far as to say that David and Jonathan of the Old Testament were homosexual lovers. We have said it before and we'll say it again. A reasonable response to the topic of homosexuals and homosexuality is completely lost between these insane polarized views represented in some of the so-called Christian churches today. At one end, we have the God hates fags. Now, that's not my saying. That is something that is actually out there. People with signs that say God hates fags. And uh, these people are truly teeming with rancor and hate. But at the other end, we have the God prefers homosexuals in the Christian community whose cup runneth over with blind humanism. The only balance we have, our only rational response to this issue, is the word of God taken in context and applied with love. So then what do the pastors of these humanist churches do? They get up and they make the word fit their humanist views. It's unconscionable, it's arbitrary, and it's without linguistic or historic support. But as Karen Carpenter once sang, we've only just begun. Let me be very clear here with regard to our ministry. Homosexuality is a sin. It's contrary to the will of of God for men and women. It is no different, listen, it is no different than any sin that I commit, that you commit, that Thomas S. Monson commits, or the pastor of the very liberal First Presbyterian Church in Logan commits. These, all these sins separate us from God. Therefore, the solution is no different from any, for the, any of these sins either. That is receiving the full and finished work of Jesus Christ through spiritual rebirth. To take away the sin from the act is to forever take away the homosexual's need to go to Jesus with it. And this is a blatant crime against homosexuals. When you go and you tell them, they come to the church for guidance and spiritual insight, and you tell them that the Bible supports homosexuality, what you do is you remove from them the chance for them to take this issue, which is against God, to the source and have him sort it out for them in their life. You ought to be greatly ashamed, First Presbyterian Church in Logan. You're doing a great disservice, not only to the people who have come to you for real insight and direction, but to the homosexual community as well, who need truth and love from a place that used to uh, be able to furnish it. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we love you and we need you. I need you. We pray for your uh, spirit in our viewing audience, our live audience, with our technicians, our volunteers, and with the message we're about to share. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's see where I'm at. It would be quite easy and convenient 
to uh, now that Joseph is dead in our history and the church in Nauvoo has sort of been taken over by Brigham Young to just follow Brigham Young out to Utah and leave Nauvoo and everything associated with it to just the past. However, there is a whole history in Nauvoo which we should address that occurred once Brigham pulled the other Latter-day Saints out of Utah. That history is the history of the family of Joseph Smith, his wife, and his children that she bore or adopted. For a man that the Mormons even today hail as the prophet, Joseph Smith, it's interesting that none of his family uh, followed Mormonism that he practiced or, uh, or, more, or that Mormons practice today. Mormonism that uh, is, happens here in the Utah Valley that is headquartered here in Utah was not followed by his wife or his children. That's telling somehow. Tonight is part two of four where we will tell the tale of the Joseph Smith family, what they did, how they were treated, and where they ended up. We're going to begin or continue tonight with Emma, finish up with her and her death, uh, who is Joseph's wife. Next week, we'll cover the lives of her children. And then the following week, we're going to finish off with a special story about their youngest son, David, which is absolutely amazing in its parallels and what it reveals about his father. It's amazing that a person who was with Joseph Smith from the night he supposedly picked up the golden plates to the day he died, his wife, would not only choose to let Mormonism move right on out without her or her family, but would hold its new leader, Brigham Young, in utter contempt. It's also quite revelatory how the Utah Latter-day Saints viewed Emma and her decision to remain behind and how her life and the life of her family ended up as being separated from the pack. Prior to the Saints leaving for the West, Emma is reported to have used the word Brighamite to describe those who would follow Brigham Young's lead. The term was derogatory in the least. In time, those who did, uh, didn't follow Brigham, but uh, remained true to Emma and her son's version of, and Joseph's version of Mormonism, the Utah Saints would call Josephites. And that term is related to Joseph Smith III, Joseph Smith's son, not Joseph Smith himself. So where the saints who stayed back in Nauvoo and in those areas called the people in Utah Brighamites, the Utah Latter-day Saints called anybody who didn't come to Utah but believed in Joseph Smith's vision, Josephites, referring to his uh, son, Joseph III. Prior to the saints, uh, I mean, after the Brighamites began to pull out from Illinois, Emma um, rented the Nauvoo house in 1847 to a man named Abram Van Tool and abandoned Nauvoo by riverboat with her four children. They traveled to a small village 150 miles up the Mississippi River that was called Fulton, and there she remained till she got word that Van Tool was ripping off all the furniture in the Nauvoo house. So in the middle of the winter, with her four kids in tow, she took their family horse, one horse and a carriage, and traveled 150 miles back to reclaim her property. And she kicked the bum out, caught him in the act of, of uh, looting the house. 
after um, spending her married life with Joseph, running away from issues, running from the law, running from mobs, running from all kinds of issues, it appears that Emma grew up and said enough is enough and now she was going to stand and fight. She would remain in Nauvoo for the rest of her life. The town had shrunk from nearly 20,000 inhabitants to several hundred and would struggle and thrive economically and spiritually uh, throughout the remainder of her days. Uh, Emma turned 43 the same month that the Brighamites uh, entered the Salt Lake Valley. She courted two men in the summer of 1847 and one of them won her heart, a man named Louis Bitterman, who she had met who had met Joseph Smith prior to his being uh, killed, but refused to join his church. He had been married twice before, the first time ending in death, the second time ending in a divorce, and he married Emma in Nauvoo on December 23, 1847. In time, the Nauvoo Temple fell to arson, weeds sprouted up, and the city became a river town full of the type of characters you would expect to see in an abandoned place that once thrived on the Mississippi River. A visitor from Utah and a friend of the Smiths named Bernheisel made a stop to see Emma when he was making a trip back east in 1848. He wrote, quote, Though Emma received me in the kindest and entertained me in the most hospitable manner, she did not make a single inquiry in relation to the valley, meaning Utah Valley, the church, and any of its members. Brother Bernheisel, as uh, a member of the uh, Utah church, knew that the Utah church, the Brighamites, church was everything. This was quite disturbing to him that Emma didn't ask him anything about any of it. Uh, I think she was too smart to fall into that religious trap again. Now take a minute, think about this, ask yourself, why? Why would Emma not ask about anyone, anyone or anything that was in the Salt Lake Valley that moved on with the Brighamites? Uh, when, we were, when we are presented with a picture of what Nauvoo was like prior to Joseph Smith being killed, they present these idyllic images of everything being love and solidarity and unity and this total, total cheeriness atmosphere in all the pictures and all the depictions you learn as a member of the church, this, this, this setting. If it was this way, why would the prophet's wife literally have nothing to do with Mormonism uh, ever again. She was the wife of the prophet. She actually served as the Relief Society president of Nauvoo. And yet when someone comes from Utah, she doesn't ask anything about the people. What did Emma know about Mormonism, about Brigham, about Joseph, about those pioneers? What had hardened her heart so much? Amidst great financial mess, Emma ended up, long story short, acquiring, then losing, then reacquiring most of the land that was in her husband's name, and she remained, again for the rest of her life, land rich but extremely cash poor. Her husband, Louis Bitterman, would soon run off uh, to California for the gold rush and leave Emma to raise her three boys alone, and as her oldest adopted daughter, Julia, had gotten married and moved away. 
She raised her boys in a, with Christian principles. This is how Emma started her life, being raised on Christian principles. And she joined no, no church except the one that her eldest son, Joseph III, would head as a prophet years later, the reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which has been renamed recently, well, the past eight years, to the Community of Christ. When her boys hit teenagedom, the Nauvoo Mansion, as it was called, became sort of a hangout for the kids and their town friends. Young people included, according to LDS historian Valine Tibbetts Avery, quote, Catholics, Presbyterians, Methodists, and Lutherans, along with those of no particular religious affiliation, who participated in communal apple pairings, corn huskings, taffy poles, and other bees and parties, end quotes. I wonder if Brigham would have been so open and friendly to Gentile teens and his mansion down there on uh, North Te uh, South Temple and whatever it is. Is it, uh, several years later, in 1860, Emma's eldest son, Joseph III, accepted the place as the prophet, seer, revelator of the reorganized church, and Emma became a, an immediate member. Her husband, Louis, having returned from California without any money, refused to join any religion for the rest of his life. Joseph III then relocated the reorganized church back to Nauvoo and tenuously faced the townspeople's reaction of more Mormons returning to that area. Tom Sharp, a newspaper editor who relentlessly attacked his father, Joseph Smith Jr., when he was alive, saw a great difference in this son's religious approach and wrote, quote, Young Joe is a different man from old Joe, and don't seek to gather all the faithful together that he may use them politically and financially as the Brighamites do. There is nothing objectionable in Young Joe's church that we have heard of. From the journals of the reorganized believers, it seems Emma's religion was based on what Mormonism was in the Kirtland, Ohio days and nothing of what it had become in the Nauvoo days. What it had become in the Nauvoo days is what it is today in the Salt Lake Valley with very little change in doctrine. After being married to Lewis Bitterman for 17 years, uh... Emma was greeted with another trying surprise. Her husband, Lewis, fathered a child by one Nancy Abercrombie, a good-looking woman 24 years his junior. Nancy gave birth to Charles Edwin on March 16, 1864. Speaking of Emma, LDS historian Tibbetts Avery writes, quote, She was again married to a man who found other women irresistibly attractive, although an important difference existed between the two men's expectations for her conduct. Louis Bitterman did not insist that she condone his actions or set an example for other women to follow as Joseph had done. Emma was free to, to forgive Louis and simultaneously oppose adultery as a matter of principle." End quote. I would suggest that because of this Christian approach to the issue, which Emma was freely allowed to embrace and accept, she was also open to loving rather in her response rather than hating and rejecting. The child stayed with his natural mother for the first four years of his life before Emma took over to raising him to adulthood in 1868. 
When Brighamite travelers from Utah, however, heard about the child, they saw a vast difference between their own polygamous morality and that of Emma's Christian willingness to take an illegitimate boy and make him her own. To them, they were living within the realms of God's ordained practice of polygamy and would not offer anything praiseworthy in her selfless act of love and forgiveness of her husband and the child that was born because of it. Sound familiar? Frankly speaking, in order to fully inflate themselves for having chosen rightly to follow Brigham, they offered her no quarter, no allowance, no love or acceptance. They offered it to nobody who resided outside of Utah and didn't follow Brigham into the Salt Lake Valley. Not surprisingly, this attitude was reiterated by Brigham Young himself. Brigham Young, not a nice man. When members of the reorganized church came to visit Utah, Young let them know in no uncertain terms how he felt about the prophet Joseph's wife, Emma. According to those who were traveling missionaries, Young stated publicly, quote, Emma Bitterman is a wicked, wicked, wicked woman and always was and is at the bottom of the whole matter with Joseph III being the prophet of the church. Joseph III is led by his mother and is now acting under the direction of Emma. Young concluded, I know more about Emma, Joseph III, Alexander, and David than they know of themselves, end quote. This attitude became almost canon among the Utah saints. Emma was evil. And within the auspices of this general attitude, we can see the genesis of a Mormon attitude that exists even to this day. If you are not for us, if you do not agree with us, if you do not follow us, or if you teach anybody anything against us, you are evil. You have the problem. You are the failure, not us. Never us. Speaking of her relatives who chose to follow Brigham to Utah, like Hiram Smith's children, Emma said, quote, Maybe that God will consider them in their ignorance and convict and convert them and cleanse them from their abominations and make them fit for more decent society. I hope he will. That is, those who were taken there when too young to know any better. When Emma's son was attacked by the Brighamites, Emma wrote to him saying, quote, You may know that you are not the first one who has been misunderstood or misapplied or misquoted or misrepresented in every way and in every conceivable shape. Neither is it certain that you will be the last afflicted one, end quote. Under Brigham Young's leadership, one thing was quickly established. Turning the other cheek is for sissies. You mess with us, it's all out war. As we continue to ch study church history, we will see this come to light. In this vein, the Brighamites were relentlessly ruthless toward Emma, who, in my opinion, stands head and shoulders above Young as a living example of Christian love. His, uh, in December of 1870, one Joseph C. Rich paid a visit to Nauvoo from Salt Lake City. His written report was printed in the church-owned Deseret News, most likely with the approbation of Young. On January 7th, 1870, it read, quote, I have always venerated the name of the prophet and look upon Nauvoo and the places frequented by Joseph as almost holy ground. Then judge then my feelings as I crossed the threshold of the mansion home. I stepped into the office where perchance angels once visited there. 
Old Bitterman, the present husband of Emma, sat spitting tobacco on the stove. The furniture and the general appearance of the room were decidedly shabby. The biased account continued with Rich stating that Emma looks very old and broken. And then he used the presence of Bitterman's child, Charles, who was born out of wedlock, not to praise Emma for loving and caring for the child, but to further condemn her. He said, quote, now... Emma is the wife of a man who, even among his friends, is reproached as a drunkard and an adulterer. Only recently, an illegitimate child has been sent him that calls Emma grandmother. Holy God, he writes. Emma has been through Lord knows what at the hands of her first husband, Joseph. Unimaginable trials for a woman. She refused to play along with any more religious tomfoolery, and now at the age of 65, she was trying to keep an old hotel without funds or the benefit of visiting angels or paying customers. Uh, and this, is, this supposed Latter-day Saint visitor not only castigates her, uh, but the Deseret News prints this castigation in full color for all the Brighamites to read and to sh shake their head. When we come back, we'll finish up about Emma Smith and what happened to her. See you in a minute. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820, and let me finish up with what happened to Emma Smith. People often ask why I get angry at times on the show. It doesn't happen as much anymore, uh, but it's stuff like this, stuff like this that continues to happen every day, today, at least in this state and within the confines of uh, Mormonism that keeps me up at night and the fires going. Unfortunately, Emma was a human being and was not only capable, but she was willing to lie. Her reason, like anybody's reasons for perpetuating a falsehood, was highly personal. In her mind, lies were necessary to protect those she loved from the horrors of the truths that were forced upon her. What did Emma lie about? Polygamy. She taught her sons and her daughter that their father never practiced it. She claims to have known no other wives. To her, she spoke the truth, which had become so relative in Mormonism's public expression, it probably seemed acceptable. On August 29th of 1877, Brigham Young died. His last words were fittingly, Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. At the start of 1879, after years and years of trusting where trust was not warranted, of loving when true love was not reciprocated, of serving when service was received without much gratitude, and for existing under the constant criticism of not doing what she should, Emma Smith's life began to draw to an end. Pressured over a national conflict over polygamy, her sons, now adults, sought to talk to her in her declining health and asked if they could interview her about the subject, and she agreed. In February of 1879, 
Her now grown sons asked her to frankly explain their father's polygamous activities. In her continued genius, Emma responded using the very same rhetorical tools her husband and the defenders of polygamy had used to deny its existence so many years before. You see, Joseph Smith and all the boys who secretly practiced the lustful and carnal art in Nauvoo, when they were confronted publicly, were actually able to deny it existed because in their minds, they weren't practicing the barbaric act of polygamy. They were practicing the eternal principle of celestial marriage. So when asked by her sons Alex and Joseph III about it, Emma, using the same logic, denied that Joseph was ever married to another woman while they were wed. Because to Emma, the marriages weren't marriages at all. So she claimed there was no other wives because in her mind they were not wives. She was. In the early spring of 1879, just shy of her 75th birthday, Emma Smith died. Interestingly enough, and unlike Brigham Young, her last words were not Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. I pray in my heart that they were Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Let's go to the phone lines. Uh, listen, we got all uh, first-time callers. It's awesome. When we come to you, please be ready. Have your TV sets turned down. The next person you hear after you've gone through the operator is going to be me to keep it going. Have your question, your comment ready. And LDS callers preferably, first-time callers always. Let's go to Vicki in Layton. Vicki, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. I Hi. just want to say great show. You're doing a great job. Thank you. Um, I, I, I had a question. I'm a Christian, and um, I'm wondering why is it so secretive what happens in the temple and what goes on in the temple, and even the people that are excommunicated and don't go to the LDS and are not LDS anymore will not talk about it. Well, it all stems back to what it was based in, and that is masonry. And the, the Masonic order is a, to it's a fraternal uh, order of men, and they do secret handshakes and different things with each other to, uh, to show that they are part of the fraternity. And so from that, Joseph took those elements, and then he established, rewrote his own uh, things for the temple. And so with the secrecy that came with masonry, it also comes with Mormonism. And so when you're in those temple, when you're in the temple, you swear, at least when I went through, you swear you will not reveal what happens inside of them or they will take your life. So that when I went through, you showed the different ways that they would kill you. And so you don't walk out like wanting to, to say anything, especially when you're young and impressionable. So oh, wow. there's a heavy-duty thing. Now, what happened was uh, people started to get freaked out, and they started to reveal that this went on in the temple. So back in the uh, 80s, or not 80s and 90s, they changed it, and they took away the actual showing how you would die if you revealed the secrets. But they still say with this ominous voice, remember, if you do it, if you tell, you know, bad things will happen. So people are just freaked out. Now... 
Uh, I have no problem talking about what goes on in the temple with somebody one-on-one, but I don't do it on the air because we have a lot of LDS viewers who watch. They still hold what goes on in there sacred, and we're not here to offend them. We're here to teach them, so that's why I refuse to do it here on the show. Right. Well, wow. Wow, that's interesting. Does that help? Okay, thank you very much, Sean. Thank you. Bye-bye. We're going Bye-bye. to Robert in New York City. Robert, you are on, you are on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how you doing, Sean? Good, Robert. How are you? Wanted, uh, doing all right. I just wanted to uh, thank you uh, on, on your great job you're doing on your show and everything. And um, basically, I came across your show on, um, I guess, through the internet. So I'm watching your show streaming from New York. But um, basically, I have a friend that was a Christian that actually became a Mormon. And what's the, the irony about it was basically that he always talked to me about Jesus. I just became a born again Christian about a year ago. And I've just been doing some research, and I came across your site, and I've been talking to him about, you know, how the Book of Mormon is not really, you know, I guess the next testament of Jesus Christ. Uh-huh. But um, just wanted to thank you on the good job you're doing and everything, and your job has been really helpful in speaking to him about, I guess, rejogging his memory why we're saved, and that we're saved through Jesus Christ alone, and yeah. not from our works, right. or, you know, the grace that Jesus gave us. But I guess that's all I wanted to say. Hey, Robert, thank you yeah. so much. Uh, spread the word out there in New York City. And uh, thanks for calling. And just keep on with your friend, on with Jesus, how he is the finished work. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And I think in time you're going to have success with that young man or woman. All right, man. Thanks, thanks Robert. All right. All right, bye-bye. We're going to Bob in Clearfield. Bob, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sean, first-time caller, long-time viewer. I'm a Christian like yourself. And the fact you're talking about the uh, Reformed LDS Church today, I kind of came up with the thought, you know, I thought of this before, is the Book of Mormon has many, many changes to it, as we all know. What happens with the Reformed LDS Church and their Book of Mormon and the Fundamentalist LDS Book of Mormon when all these changes are made? I mean, they have a completely different Book of Mormon than what we see living here in Utah that handed out or, or in every Marriott hotel in the, in the entire world or, you know. Wow. That is a really good, uh, I've never, ever thought of that. So uh, the FLDS and the, and the uh, reorganized church, which is now the community of Christ, they pulled away from the Brighamites so long ago that they have kept the Book of Mormon unadulterated is what you're saying. That's, that's what I would think. I, that's my thoughts. I wonder if that's true. If anyone knows, call. I don't know the answer to that. But that's, uh, is, is Robert in the audience? Yes. Robert, what's the answer? The uh, Reorganized Mormon Church has what they call an authorized edition. And it is different than the Salt Lake City Book of Mormon. So they have their own. They have their own. They have their authorized edition of the Book of Mormon. Have the 3,567 changes occurred in theirs, Robert? Uh, I don't know how many changes, but probably not as many. Now, fundamentalist Mormons use the Salt Lake City Deseret Printing Press Book of Mormon, same as the Salt Lake City Mormons. You know what we'll do? Next uh, week, uh, Bob, I'll talk with uh, Robert. He's, he's a walking encyclopedia. And, okay. Uh, uh, we'll get the information, we'll f- do some homework, and we'll provide the audience about exactly what the differences are. But it's an excellent question. Thank you so much. There's, there's one more thing I'd like to comment on, too, Sean, if yeah. I could. 
Um, I've got the understanding after reading on the internet that that when people go to the temple to get their wedding ceremonies done and they're given their secret name, that everyone at that particular temple or every male gets the exact same name that day and every female gets the exact same name. Is that is that yeah. true? Yeah, I think that's true. That's how they oh. keep track of what the secret names are. So if you forget, they go back, they look up the date, and they say, hey, you're... Your ho ho ba. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Okay, uh, Elmer. How's Elmer? Is that good? What's Hi, that? Thanks, Sean. I appreciate okay. it. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye bye. We're going to Abigail in Provo. Abigail, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. I'm Abigail, and I'm 13. You're 13. Um, yeah. Awesome. Um, I'm Orthodox Christian, and I was talking to my friend that is LDS. Uh huh. And um. I asked her if they believe in the Bible and they believe that God um, um, cleans their sins away, like whatever they do, and he still loves them even if they kill somebody or do that. And um, I asked her why there were three heavens, if they believe in three heavens then. And she couldn't answer that, so I was wondering if you could. They believe in the three heavens because Joseph Smith said there were three. They take, they take two of them from Corinthians. Joseph Smith adds a, a, another one that isn't in Corinthians. And he was so imaginative. Uh, he would read a passage and he would just come up with these great uh, thoughts. And, and so they believe that there are three heavens and that um, you're going to go to the... And the, in the celestial kingdom, there are many levels there. The highest degree of the celestial kingdom is where you will go on to become a god and procreate for eternity. Uh, I still miss some of those concepts. I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, below that, you have the, the lesser ones. Now, Abigail, what was your other question? Um, no, that was my only question. Well, you uh, keep going. Just, Abigail, what uh, church do you go to down there? I go to Christ Evangelical Church. That's, that's a great church. Hey, yeah, and what are you interested in as a Christian down there? In Are you in sports? Yeah, I'm in basketball. Basketball, excellent. And what kind of grades you get? Uh, I get A's and B's. Good job, good job. And and are you? How are those boys? They're doing well. I have a twin brother. So. Oh, good. Well, you sound like a delightful Christian girl. Thank you so much for calling. All right, thank you. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. We're going to Andrea in Taylorsville. Andrea, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, we were watching your show last week, and I had a question about uh, the wives of Joseph Smith. Um, you said that he was keeping it away from Emma, but did he have any children with those wives? Well, um, it's debatable. And that's one of the arguments that, some, that the RLDS, the Reformed, the Community of Christ, say that, that proved Joseph didn't have these wives and didn't practice it because they say he didn't have any children. There's one wife, I can't remember which one it was, who claims that her daughter was Joseph Smith's daughter. I think she named her daughter Josephus or Josephine or something like that. But uh, so there is one woman, one of his ex-wives who came out to Utah who claims that her daughter was Joseph's. Um, but they say that the other ones didn't come forward because everything was so secret and hidden during the Nauvoo years when he was alive that if they got pregnant, they just went under a different name and had their child. So we don't really know. But the argument, it's a good one that you're bringing up, the argument that the uh, uh, 
uh, reorganized church used was, hey, uh, he never had kids. He, d- he did not have any other wives. So, but did they, like, did they have kids and that they just said that weren't his kids? Yeah, that's, that's the belief of some. But the, unfortunately, it's just a belief. We really don't have any concrete proof except for the one woman who, uh, and if you read Todd Compton's book in Sacred Loneliness, he's LDS writer, but a phenomenal historian. He documents 33 wives he gets from court records. And, uh, but he, he shows you the one, and he believes that the one daughter is Joseph's. Uh-huh. So did Emma know about these, uh, like these children, or did, uh, well, after she found out about the wives? I haven't read the Emma's biography, so I don't know if she knew about the one. We, from what I've read, she knew about seven of the 33. Uh-huh. Uh, four of which she said okay to for a short period of time. Yeah. But, okay. but that's, that's, I don't know if she knew of other children. Oh, okay. Okay? We were just figuring that that would kind of prove it but yeah right, it definitely you. would I, I i wish they could do some uh if, wish they could trace that line and find offspring and do some genetic testing yeah yeah hey thanks so much uh-huh. okay bye-bye. bye-bye we're going to steve in springville first time caller steve you're on heart of the matter steve steve not there oh wait steve you're on heart of the matter we lost steve all right we're out of uh the actually the lines are full but uh, keep calling. You'll get through. I have some emails to read. Uh, this is from Durrell. He says, in your opinion, what's the best way to explain how Joseph produced the Book of Mormon? Uh, Durrell, and then he writes, what is your opinion or uh, taken from another work? If taken from another work or book, would you mind telling me what work or book it is? Uh, I don't think uh, I can. I, I know I can't recite that from this show right now. But if you go back and watch our seven-part series on the Book of Mormon, I give at least eight to ten sources where Joseph Smith took from uh, outside of the Bible, which was makes up a lot of the Book of Mormon, but different sources, including even a line from the newspaper of his day. So you can go back, and there are references. If you do go to the archives, you can find it and uh, and go from there. This is a great email. Uh, I'll get to David from Pleasant Grove in just a minute. It says, a couple of months ago, I was going through a troubled time in my life. The normal stresses of going to school, working part-time, supporting a wife uh, and child were compounded by a miscarriage my wife suffered and my own health problems. I decided I need spiritual guidance as, quote-unquote, luck would have it. While working in the student employee at Oklahoma State University, I came across a shiny blue book, the Book of Mormon, specifically Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl Price, combined in one volume. I had seen commercials growing up, and I thought, why not? After some amateur investigating and through cutting through and through chatting with the LDS missionaries online, I actually visited a ward here in Stillwater myself. I have to confess that I thought it was a dream church I had been looking for throughout my life in my teens and 20s. Then after further research, I began to have doubts. Then, almost as if God himself was involved, I stumbled upon a few short clips of your TV show called Heart of the Matter. Uh, Though one can read the Christian apologetics online and read a laundry list of printed material, one can still defend the LDS and be in a state of denial. I was in denial that the LDS was wrong for weeks, and the cognitive dissonance it caused me, the emotional roller coaster was horrid, and I wasn't even a member of the church. Being able to see the hours and hours of archives of your show, I was able to see the truth of the LDS church. What made it even more convincing is that you weren't just anti-Mormon, 
but you had actually been there. And he goes on to say how he can't imagine what it would be like to be LDS for all these years and then try to separate from it. And I want you to know the separation process can be arduous for people because when you're in it, they make it seem like it's the only thing on earth. So you find out it's wrong, you are dead inside and you grip to either nothingness, alcohol, drugs, or you cling to the church again and think there's something wrong with me. Don't let it happen. Go to the Lord. Open up the Word. Start with the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh, Jesus Christ. I mean, it's real simple. All right there in what I just said against what Mormonism teaches you. Continue to read the Gospel of John, pray, ask the Lord, and He will take all this junk. He'll renew your mind, and you will move forward with true freedom, hope, and love in Christ. Let's go to David in Pleasant Grove on line four. David, you're on Heart of the Matter. I'm doing well, David. How are you? Doing great, thank you. Uh, main question I got for you to get to the point. Uh, you always tell us the story of how you were born again and that you were with the church for four years after that before you uh, ended up leaving. Yeah. What did you do during that four years? We are kind of in that time frame right now. We've realized the error of our ways and have started going to the Calvary Chapel with Joe McCormick out in American Fork and have started awesome. hearing, the, hearing the truth for the first time in 40 years. Awesome. And but we're still, we've talked to our bishop and asked to be released from our calling, so we're not teaching false doctrine to the kids. And uh, just curious, what you did during that four-year time period, David? It's a really good question. Uh, it's pertinent too because a lot of people are at this place. What I did was kind of what you did. I uh, attended the LDS church with my wife, who was still faithful, believing, and hoping we were going to be sealed for time and all eternity. And my children were still going, and so I would go. But at, at the same time, not really knowing what to do, I would listen to Christian radio, and I would read books that I believe the Lord opened up to me. Uh, I read about um, uh, Luther and Here I Stand, a biography by, Charles, by Baton. I read uh, More Than a Carpenter. I read all these books, Born Again by Chuck Colson, and they helped me see what had happened. And then every time I would hear the word preached on the radio, I never visited a church because I didn't really, I really didn't know what to do. And I would read, then I would go sit in the LDS meeting as a stake high councilman. That's what I was at the time. And uh, I would just die inside. Just die. I mean, they thought I was like, you know, my head was going to spin around and they didn't know what was wrong. And in time after those four years of just letting the Lord show me and then compare, show me, compare, uh, there was no way after being born again I could stay. So that is kind of what happened, David. Wow. Yeah, my wife says when you're in town, we'd love to take you out to lunch for uh, all you've done for us and taught us and uh, shown us. I never turn down a lunch. Actually, I do it all the time. But we get, to, we get together and talk. I love it, David. Email me. And, you know, I think I uh, responded to you through email recently, but um, let's get together. Yeah, we'd love to. We appreciate your show. We love it. I listen to you on, your, on the uh, iPod every night for eight hours at work and just... Uh, Keep, keep filling up my mind and my soul with all the right answers, and I really appreciate your help and guidance. Oh, pray, I praise God. All of it's to God, David. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sean. Keep doing a great job. Thank you. Bye-bye. We're going to Lucy in Salt Lake, first-time caller. Lucy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Lucy? Hi, Sean. Hi, Lucy. Hey, I want to ask you if you have um, heard of the LDS Southern Star. The Southern Star? No, what is that? It's a book. Oh. 
what's, what's it about? I haven't read it. I was just wondering if you have read it. <laughs> Yeah, you cannot it. beat the quality we, we present here on Heart of the Matter, let me tell you. You haven't read, do you know it, what it's about at all? Not yet. I just picked it up. Are you a Christian, Lucy? Yes. Oh, I love you. I, I love your heart right now. I, I like your blonde hair. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're one of about 10,000, so... Uh, but, thanks, you. Lucy. God bless you, my sister. Let me ask you... One question. Okay. Won't people be disappointed when they get up in heaven and they haven't been sealed together in the Mormon church? Yeah, I think there's going to be some great disappointment. And, and I have kind of a liberal take on this. And again, it's my take. But people have asked me, well, what about all those Mormons who believe in Jesus? They really do. They read the Bible, but they also believe in some of the other things. And they're working really hard, but they believe they're saved by grace. And what about this, this kind of mixed group? And, you know, I always say um, they're just going to, they have their reward here. And they're going to be greatly surprised when their works are placed on the altar and tried by fire and burned as haywood and stubble. And I, I just, I feel so sad that they actually believe that they're, Get gaining points through uh, their efforts instead of doing it out of the love for Christ and not worrying about the reward. But uh, we'll see what happens, but I would agree. I think there's going to be some disappointment. Sad. Yeah. God bless you, Lucy. Okay, take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. We're going to Julie and Layton. Julie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Julie, I'm having trouble hearing you. Can we get some... Talk loud, Julie. Oh, is it Pastor McCready? Yes. Hello, this is Julie. Thank you for ha having my question. You're welcome, Julie. Okay. Uh, I'm a Christian. I was born into the ODS Church. Um, my mother and I really found Bible teaching through Crenshaw Christian Center in California when I moved to California. Wow. But uh, I have a question. Could you please clarify the differences in the way Mormon people think of Zion? and the biblical sense of Zion. If I remember right, it seems like Mormons believe Zion is Salt Lake City or Nauvoo. Is that the case? And, and that Christ will actually be coming back to Nauvoo, Illinois, and not Jerusalem? Is that the belief? What the belief is, it's kind of a, it's sort of a replacement theology. The Latter-day Saints believe that the Jews... Uh, they, they don't look down on the Jews, but they believe they have sort of replaced them and that through adoption through the LDS Church, you become God's chosen. And because the LDS Church is the most Americana church on earth, you know, the Garden of Eden was here, by the way, Missouri, uh, Zion is Utah. And they sing songs and their hymn books are full of songs about come to Zion, come to Zion. Zion's the place. And it's, it's this mentality that they are the, the church that is, they use it as a church that's going to, a stone that is cut out of the mountain that will roll forth without hands and all this stuff. And they apply it to the church and they believe Zion, this is the center place and, and everything else is the mission field. Now, where Nauvoo and all of, uh, all of that, Adamon Diamond comes into play, that's a place where there's going to be a, a gathering again. It's not going to be here in Zion, and that's going to be the New Jerusalem. Uh, that's what they call it. So uh, it, it is to make it interesting television and to kind of answer your question. That is how I understand it. Okay. Does that help? That helps a lot. 
Okay. Yeah, versus Jerusalem and, and Israel being Zion. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, Jerusalem is not Zion. Zion is here. And there will be a new Jerusalem, and it will be, uh, I believe, in uh, Illinois. Oh, Kirtland. Mm. Uh, Robert? Independence, Missouri. <laughs> I'm just going to quit this show. <laughs> it's kind of like Nixon and Kennedy, you know, uh, on the first televised debate. If Robert was up here, you'd appreciate his mind, but I don't think you'd watch him very much. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Okay, let's go. Thank you so much, Julie. Thank you. God bless. God We're going to Steve in Springville. Steve, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah. You're on the air, my friend. Um, in the Bible, it says, um, it, it says that uh, you're not supposed to judge. You're not supposed to what? You're not supposed to judge. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I, you know, I judge, too. I'm not Mormon. I'm Southern Baptist. But my main question was, is how do you get these people to stop from telling my kid she needs to be baptized at nine, at, nine, at nine years old? They usually tell them to get baptized at eight years old. And how do you stop them from saying that? Yeah, they, the, the missionaries are coming up to my daughter and telling her she needs to be baptized. Well, there's this stuff. It's called pepper spray. <laughs> it, totally kidding. Totally kidding. <laughs> I don't believe in I'll violence. I I, and I like your blonde hair, too. Well, thank you. Uh, no, you know, uh, you're not going to be able to stop that, that type of thing. The best defense is going to be to teach your child the true principles out of the Word. The best thing for parents to do is to study the Bible. Let your daughter see you reading that Bible. Open that up. And, you know, if you haven't been doing it, start with the book of John. Go to a good Bible teaching church. I'm sure there's one in Springville. I know there's one in Springville. And just start getting into the Word. And that is going to be the best inoculation against false teaching, knowing the real thing as compared to the counterfeit. Okay, one other question. Emma yep. Smith, she never came to Utah because my next-door neighbor says she's the granddaughter of her, and she, she's, they moved here. She, so she never came out here? No, I don't believe. It could have been a trip, but I haven't read it in the recent biography I read. Uh, I don't believe she ever came to Utah. I know her sons did, but she didn't. Now, your neighbor could be her great-great-granddaughter somehow through one of her sons, or, or her adopted daughter, but certainly I don't think it was from Emma living here. Okay. Hey, thank you. You have a nice day. Same to you. God bless you. Bye-bye. We're going to Matt in Salt Lake City. First-time caller. Matt, you're on Heart of the Matter. You got one minute, my friend. All right, man. What? Hey, you're gone, my friend. Okay, let's go. Uh, it says, my name is Tara. I'm 15-year-old sophomore in high school. I try to watch your show every week when I'm not busy with homework and whatnot. <laughs> Homework? No, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm not a Mormon, and I live in North Ogden, where the population of Mormons are high. Life is rough. Kids have stopped being my friends because I'm not Mormon, and kids have tried to convert me into Mormonism. A lot of times, I'm left out and singled out and very much judged. I just want to let you know your show helps me every week and remember who I am. Thank you for helping me and your, my family realize the wrongness of Mormonism. Tara, we, uh, our prayers go out to you. We have a prayer team. I'm going to make sure that uh, you're on that. And all the youth of Utah, you guys do not have it easy, but uh, you do have it better. 
you have the Lord on your side and you have the truth on your side and you can walk with him. Uh, he lives in you and you just keep following uh, your, your parents' example as Christians and you go to the Lord in prayer and you trust in him. And I promise you, Tara, as you continue, he is going to lead your life. Don't listen to anybody else. You just listen to him. So come with us next week. We're going to continue on church history here on Heart of the Matter. Break my